I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning and he was sitting in the kitchen with my phone. And I was like, oh crap. And he came in and said, what is this? And I mean, I, you're caught, you can't lie. I told him. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. I'm super excited about this week's story. I found someone with totally different beliefs than me on accident. I saw her post on Facebook and instantly fell in friendship love with her. (laughs) She's so bright, positive, and just confident. Her post on Facebook said something like, hey, I'm done, blah, 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 I don't remember. I don't like small talk. I like the deep stuff. And if you know me at all, you know I am the worst at small talk. I'm like, hi, I'm Chelsea, and this is my whole life story, and I will make you my best friend. Okay? Okay. So when I read that fact about Don, I instantly knew I would vibe with this chick. What I didn't realize until later, after a little bit of Facebook stalking her, She is very, how do I put this, Mm, not religious. I thought, dang, she probably won't go for coming on my show, but I loved her so much that I just asked her anyway. (laughs) I was actually surprised to find out that she had been religious, and that was a big part of her story. We were both very blunt and shared our intentions, and they aligned. Lucky us, she said yes, and she's here on the show. So how do a religious and a not-religious-at-all person get along? Well, we're about to show you how. You can totally honor your own beliefs and allow others to do the same, and not just tolerate each other, but celebrate each other. Since I hardly know her at all, I let her introduce herself. Hi, guys. My name is Dawn Flaherty. My husband and I just moved from Minnesota to Mississippi less than two months ago, so whole new world kind of out here. I'm an entrepreneur. I rep with a health and wellness brand. I'm really passionate about healing from within, you know, manifesting mindset um, and just helping empower other women. That's kind of my passion right now. I'm a stepmom, no biological kiddos, no puppies yet, but those are hopefully coming someday, maybe next year. And yeah, I'm a pretty simple, simple person. I'm, I'm very much homebody-ish, <laughs> but I, I love people and I have a passion for helping people. Like so many of the people that I've reached out to, Dawn insisted she didn't really have a story, then gave me the cliff notes of an incredible journey that she's actually been on. Yeah, I've told so many people I don't have a story and you're right. Like we all have one. It's more just like we compare our stories. Like mine's not as bad as hers. So I don't have a story, but I guess, To start us off, I actually just want to make a really quick blanket statement because my family might hear this. I told you this, like a lot of my story has to do with a little bit of religion and coming out of religion and what religion has made me feel or think or all of that. But anything I say is literally, it's just my perception, my reality. I just want to make sure I say that because if my family listens to this, you know, I want to make sure they know it has nothing to do with them. Anything that I feel is my perception. So anyways, so growing up, I was the youngest of five. My parents had two girls. They waited 10 years and had three more. Uh, It was not really a plan. My mom always says that she was done, but God told her otherwise. So me and my brothers were homeschooled all the way through kindergarten through high school. I never attended a public school. And some people ask me what that was like. And I'm like, I don't really know anything different. It was fine. (laughs) Besides being homeschooled, I I was pretty sheltered. Like I said, we grew up religious. I would say my parents call it Christianity, but for me, it was religion. I was always in church. I was always in the youth groups, always, you know, I was very active in the church and in the homeschool group as well. That was a Christian group. So the only reason I say all this is because of this is how my mindset always was. I had very like-minded friends, like-minded people around me all the time. So I didn't really know anything other than what I was kind of brought up to believe. Did you ever long to go to school? Oh, yeah. So I had like one non-homeschool, non-Christian friend. Like she was my one kind of like outside to the world kind of friend. And I used to really wish that I could just go to school with her because she would have the dances and she would have all this, you know, stuff that like kids do at a school. But 
I feel pretty fortunate because I had a lot of days off that other people didn't have. And I had more personal time with my family. And so to me, it was like, I just don't know anything different. Like that's all my reality was. So it's really hard to be like, it was good or bad. It was just my life. The only thing my mom even says now is like, if she could go back, she would have picked a different curriculum for each kid because now kind of knowing like we had different learning abilities, you know what I mean? And so do I feel like I got the best education? Mm, You know, but it's not because anybody did anything wrong. It's just because I didn't learn the same way as other people. But otherwise I really did like it. You know, my childhood, I I really don't have a lot of complaints. It was a really good childhood. I actually, for a long time, thought that I had the perfect family, the perfect, you know, everything was perfect because my parents did a good job at protecting us from financial struggles. I never knew we were broke, (laughs) you know, like we always had Christmas presents. We always had food on the table. And so I really don't have anything in my past that I'm like, gosh, I'm just so bitter about how I grew up or, you know, anything like that. My parents did the best they could with what they knew. And so, yeah, there's really nothing from that part of my childhood that I'm like, gosh, I hate that. Or I was abused or anything like that. I really had a good childhood. I was actually really excited to hear this. I am finding the more interviews that I do, having a untraumatic childhood is actually way more rare than I ever knew. I never realized how lucky I was. I know, seriously, because most people, and I think that's why I always thought I never had a story because my childhood and my teen years were pretty good. Like, I just am like, I really did think it was perfect. (laughs) I thought everybody operated the way that I did, you know, and my family and stuff. So one thing I will say, I feel like my family was good at hiding some of that stuff from me, like the struggles, but also it kind of was a detriment, I feel like, because it made me feel like we were perfect. And I had this perfect exterior and I never really let anybody see the nitty gritty or the dirty or the thoughts in my head, you know? So it's a pro and con, you know what I mean? (laughs) Interesting how as a mother now, I hope to do everything my best to make sure my kids don't end up screwed up. When in reality, even if I raise my kids perfectly with no trauma, they're still going to end up with issues. That's kind of the point of life. Maybe we don't need to raise them perfectly at all. Maybe we just need to raise them a way that we feel proud of. So when they do end up messed up, we can, one, be proud of ourselves for doing what we knew was our best, and two, just be there to support them as a screwed up adult. We can be their safe place. We're all going to do what we want to do anyway. Growing up though, I was always the chubby friend. I had like no self-esteem. Like I remember, you know, I talked to my mom about this. My mom is also, she has no self-esteem and she always used to say so many terrible things about herself. Like I'm stupid and ugly and, you know, and, and not knowing it, she filtered that into me. Like watching that behavior was like, well, I'm going to say the same things about myself. So I grew up thinking I was very stupid. I wasn't going to amount to anything. And it's not because she did anything wrong. She didn't tell me that, but it's just, you know, hearing it, seeing it. So I'm now into the power of words and how totally opposite that. I mean, you need to change your words to make yourself feel better and look better and feel uh, all that stuff. So I grew up just kind of like, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm stupid. And so I didn't really date. I was also scared of dating because I was so afraid that I was going to get pregnant. (laughs) For real, purity culture scared me. I was so nervous about, you know, doing something stupid. So at 17, I met my first boyfriend and he also was like a virgin. He didn't have a girlfriend. Like we were each other's like everything right away. And like within a week, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And thinking back to him, I don't really know why I was with him because we literally had zero in common. Like he was a fisher and a hunter and he loved the outdoors and I hate the outdoors. (laughs) There's so many opposites, but because I had a terrible self-esteem and really didn't think anyone could really love me. And he was, he was good to me. He loved me. He, you know, appreciated me. I stayed with him. And so for the next four years, we dated again. I was not a really terrible person, but when I came out of high school, I decided to leave the church and go party, you know, and I did my little partying days, my drinking and all that stuff. But I still never had sex before marriage because I was, again, too scared of getting getting pregnant or just screwing up my life somehow. So when we were four years in, I remember just like begging him for a ring. I was like, God, I just want to be engaged so bad. And not because I loved him, but more just 
you know, for that, I want to say that I have a ring and all that stuff. With purity culture on my mind, I wondered, was it really just the dream of having the ring and everything like that? Or was it really just because she wanted to have sex? You know what's funny? I know. Like, I was never so attracted to him that I was, like, dying to have sex. Like, that should have been a red flag. <laughs> but it wasn't on my mind. And here, I mean, that's part of purity culture, I feel like, for women, especially as we're told to, you know, we have to be modest so that we don't cause them to stumble or, you know, things like that. And so for me, I just, I was so protective of my body because I didn't want him to stumble too. So it was, it's weird when you go from this mindset of like, you can't do anything sexual to all of a sudden you're married and now you need to turn it on. That would have been a whole different episode if we dive into all of that jazz, which someone definitely should. It is a little detrimental when you're told your whole life that sex is icky and bad and then boom, you're married and you have to figure it all out. I'm so grateful for a mom who taught me how beautiful and incredible sex is. And not that it's bad. Was it awkward when my mom was saying that kind of stuff in front of all my friends in a young woman's lesson at church? Absolutely. Was it awkward when my dad was my anatomy teacher in high school and we learned all about the reproductive system? A little. But I'm so, so blessed to be in a family that freely talked about our bodies and sexuality. Thanks, mom and dad. Okay, back to Dawn, though. So within a year after she asked her boyfriend for the ring, he proposed and they were married. So we were together for four years. And then, so we got married year five. I was 22. And the wedding was great. The honeymoon was amazing. Like everything was just like picture perfect. And then we got back and we were living in my parents' basement. (laughs) So fun. And reality just set in. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not playing house anymore. Like I'm married to this guy. And it wasn't perfect. And our sex wasn't that good. I'm just being real. Like it really just, everything was just off. But I grew up in a home that was like, we don't believe in divorce. You know what I mean? Like I was going to be married to him. But (laughs) six months in, things started to change. And it really wasn't him. It was me going through whatever I was going through. Uh, Six months in, we kept going to this casino all the time. That was our thing to do on the weekends. And I met a blackjack dealer whose name was Kyle, who happens to be my husband now. I'll get to that. But we all started hanging out. We all became friends. And then I started dabbling in things I shouldn't have. And then Kyle and I got together and we started hanging out. And then ultimately, I did end up cheating. Not proud of that part of my life. It's weird to talk about because it feels like such a different version of me. Like, I can't even comprehend doing that to anyone. And I'm like, wow, I did that. So that was a really weird point of my life because then, of course, my first husband found out and that was a big thing and he wanted to destroy my life. My family wanted nothing to do with me. Like I pretty much, I was just a not a very nice person. I was very much in my own head, my own ways. I just would be like, just let me be happy. You know, that kind of person. Interesting. This is my second episode where a woman has had an affair. It's so easy to judge and hate Yes, again, no one should do that to another person. But you know how there are so many movies nowadays that tell, like, the villain side of the story? When we put ourselves in their perspective, we can see why. Obviously, she is not proud of this. But why did she do it? Well, it's a really good question. I'm trying to... Jason was a good guy. He really appreciated me. He loved me. But I don't know. There was just no chemistry. There was just no... You know, you can't force it and... Honestly, when I look back and people are like, oh yeah, I don't even know why you married him. You had nothing in common. I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me this? I can't lie. I was shocked. It wasn't even like a huge issue. It came down to, she really just didn't love him. There was no passion. I really can't judge. And it doesn't really matter if I did. It's not my journey. Really though, how many people just live in a passionless marriage? It's so difficult and sad, really. It really came down to just me not, just not vibing with him. If you can say it like that, there was just no chemistry. And, um, you know, with Kyle, he was fun. He was a little dangerous. (laughs) You know, here's this little sheltered girl who's never done anything wrong in her life, really. And then this kind of rebellious, cool guy comes in and shows me attention. I mean, that's really what it came down to. And he started to open my mind to different thoughts, different things. And I was open to it. So she was married at 22, divorced by 23, 
And this made me think a very bold question. So I asked it because this is beyond the picket fence after all. When you were in the part where you were like, okay, you were with Kyle. Mm -hmm. And first it was just like a friendship and it was like fun to be around him. And then you were attracted to him and there was the chemistry that was missing in the other part. This is like an obvious question, but why, why not break up with your husband to be with Kyle? Like what was the fear there? God, that is such a good question too. I've never thought about that. I don't know what, I don't know what was going through my head. I, I think I didn't think it would go that far. Like I really did. I convinced myself that Kyle and I were just really good friends. Like we were best friends. Like he got me, I could tell him anything, but then like, I knew what I was doing because we would flirt, but I'd be like, it's fine. Like it's just flirting. And then I so wish I could go back and shake that person. Cause I'm like, what were you doing? You knew what you were doing. Gosh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer for that. My next thought was like, okay, so was this like a one night stand accident cheating or was this like a continuous affair thing? So we met in like November or December or something like that of that first year. We started talking within the next month or two. We all sort of hung out a little bit, but by, I think it was like by February or March of that next year, 2009, Kyle and I started hanging out alone and we would kind of sneak off. Like I would start to lie to my husband and be like, I'm going to hang out with my friend. And then I'd go meet up with Kyle. Like, but we weren't doing anything. We were just meeting up and hanging out, but we would flirt with it. And then I remember very specifically one night in his room, just like watching a movie and we kissed. And it was like, I mean, literally there were fireworks. I tell you, both of us were like, whoa, like you could just feel this like crazy chemistry. And he looked at me and went, well, we just crossed the line. And I'm like, yep. And then the next, I don't know, in the next few weeks, then we ended up doing more and I ended up sleeping with him. And then it was, I think a month later and my husband found out. So it was like, it wasn't, once it got to that point, it escalated pretty quickly because I couldn't really hide it anymore, you know? Um, And how he found out, Kyle and I were kind of dumb with how we texted. He would text me a lot and he texted me every morning when he would get up at like three in the morning and he'd be like, Hey, beautiful. I hope you have a great day. I don't know why I thought that was wise because my my husband, of course, grabbed my phone one morning and I, and then I told him that I wasn't sure I wanted to be married anymore. He cried a lot of tears, stormed out of the house. And he kept telling me how he still wanted to be married. He still wanted to work on it. But I was out. I was so out <laughs> at that point. Like I was just like, no, you're not it. Um, so yeah, that was that was a rough morning. <laughs> that was a rough oh, day. I think it goes without saying that that relationship is dead, dead. I've tried so hard to kind of just reach out and apologize, but he he went off the deep end for a little while. And his story is his story. I don't want to talk about it just because it's hearsay, like anything that he's done, but like I messed up his life a little bit for a little while. Um, he just went down a bad spiral. Now he's married and happy and has kids and it's great. But um, yeah, so it wasn't the greatest. <laughs> Man, it is so hard. I totally feel for him. And I can tell he really, truly loved her. It's got to be so difficult to want to try and work it out. And the other person doesn't want to. It's easy to say, I'll never get a divorce, but you really only have the power over 50% of that marriage. If they're out, they're out. So here's a second of silence for Jason and all of his pain. But this is Dom's story. I really do believe that he was very much in love with me and thought things were going to be good. But, you know, thinking about the future I would have had with him, it's just not me. He wanted me to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen with four kids. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not me. So do I wish she would have done things in a different order? Probably. Does it matter what I think? <laughs> no. But hindsight is twenty twenty. In that point in my life, I felt like I was making the right decisions and that I was happier, you know? And I don't know that I was happier. I was just like a big F you to the world, basically. It was just that kind of phase where I was like, I just don't care. I'm just going to do whatever I want, which I kind of do now, but in a more respectful way. (laughs) But like that whole incident, I mean, it really did cause a lot of issues in my family. It caused a lot of issues with my friends, Kyle and I, I mean, we, so we dated after that, like I was in a studio apartment. I, I lived in my parents' basement, like I said, and after the divorce and everything came out, my dad said, I don't want you living here. 
if you're going to be dating Kyle, because I mean, he was a homewrecker, right? Like my parents were like, this guy needs to go. And so me being the rebellious and I was like, well, see you later. So I moved out to my own studio and then Kyle moved in pretty quickly after. So in February of 2010, I was let go from a job and Kyle was like, this is how we proposed. Okay. It's really not romantic. But he was like, so I had this thought and this was over a text. He's like, if you marry me, we could put you on my health insurance. <laughs> I was like, did you just propose over text? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I did. Two months later, they were married at the courthouse. Never a ring in sight. Putting these two dating situations next to each other is very intriguing to me. With husband one, there was no passion. They dated for a very long time and she really wanted a ring and the whole spiel. Husband too, she was just so excited to marry him that they didn't even get a ring and they did it so fast. What an interesting contrast. That's that's a really good observation. I never really thought about that. Yeah, it was like, I didn't even have to think that hard. Like I just knew Kyle was it for me, even though we were just a mess. <laughs> we were such a mess. That first year of our marriage, I mean, it's just a big blur. We drank a lot, we smoked a lot, we partied. Like we just, it was just, it's just like, I don't even barely remember that year, <laughs> to be honest. And then in 2011, so we were living in Oakdale, Minnesota at that time, in this tiny little studio, which Kyle will always tell people, like, you should start your first year of marriage in a studio. You know why? Because you can never get away from it. You have to always duke it out. Again, comparing the situations, her first marriage seemed to be perfect, but there was no passion. Now, she was in this crazy situation where there were more fights. I guess... More passion, more fights, maybe? Whenever we would get drunk is when all the marital stuff would come out. He was also so opposite of me, like in the beginning. Now we're just very aligned and very on the same thing. But man, he had gambling issues. He had alcohol issues. He smoked a pack a day, sometimes more. Like he was, and he was a player before me, like total opposite of this little sheltered girl. But like, I think that was what drew me to him because- he was so different than anybody I had ever been around. You know, I even remember when we first married, he was like, just so you know, I'm an alcoholic. I smoke and I gamble and that's never going to change. And I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> at the time I was like, that sounds good. Me too. It'll be fun. Um, but quickly I realized that is not a happy, healthy marriage and it was not that good. So our, we had a lot of marital issues the first couple of years, just because I had to understand all his, his addictions were a problem. I had my own issues, but like he did have some, and I can, I feel like I can say that he won't be mad at me. <laughs> he did have a lot of addictions. He comes from a family that also has a lot of addictions. And so it's all been kind of on his shoulders to kind of break the generational curse. So anyway, so our first year of marriage, there was a lot of fights. I remember him breaking his phone one night, throwing it, walking out, you know, it was, Oh, it's just a mess. So 2011, we moved to Apple Valley, Minnesota, which was about 20 minutes from Oakdale. And the reason was because I was going to be nannying my niece who lived in Apple Valley. So at that time, we were still partying, doing the things, but there was one weekend. And this, this brings me to like how I got back into the church. So one weekend, I found out that my brother's friends, they had a baby that was in the hospital that was not doing well. And I just, at that point, like I had no support, no community. It was just me and Kyle. Like we had no friends. Like we had just kind of gotten rid of everyone or they got rid of us or whatever. So I was really longing for people. I was longing for friendships and to kind of get my life back on track. Cause I was like, I'm just a mess and I need to fix this. So I ended up going to that church the next week because their baby passed away. And I was, I mean, I, I longed for the community that they had, like they had this live simulcast for the two days that they were in this hospital. And, and the room was always covered with people and loving on them and praying for them. And I was like, I love people. So I think the reason I went to church originally was just for the people. Like I just was like, just needed something. So we ended up there. Kyle followed along eventually to the church. He was not into it at first. It was more second nature for me because of how I grew up, not for him. So I just, I got there and I jumped feet first. I was like, put me in coach. And I just started serving everywhere. I mean, I did everything from nursery, childcare to youth group, to 
choir to worship band to prayer group. Like I was kind of everywhere. That's just kind of me. I just put myself everywhere. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it big. Seeking a community, they attended that church for five or six years. We got our life on track. We really did change a lot. Even my mom, I remember her being like, you're a different person. Your spirit is lighter. Your energy is different. Like I really did transform and so did he. And so I can't even be mad at my religious upbringing because I believe it absolutely put me on the right course. I met a lot of incredible people. I got closer to my brother, all this stuff. And so, yeah, we went to that church for a long time. With Don and Kyle at church, let's take a quick break. Want more of Beyond the Picket Fence? Well, join us in our free Facebook community. This community is our secret little place to escape all of the perfection we see here on social media and connect with women just like you who are ready to be done comparing and start being compassionate to themselves and others. Find it at facebook.com slash groups slash beyond the picket fence. Link also in the show notes. Can't wait to see you in there. Let's get back. Dawn and her husband were getting their life back on track. In this moment, I remembered her talking something about how she struggled with being the chubby friend. I wondered, did all of that inner narrative follow her throughout this whole affair, new marriage, party days, and all of that? Yeah, I've struggled with body dysmorphia. You know, it's like, even when I was a little bit thinner, I still always saw myself as this big girl. And my sisters were bigger. My mom was bigger. Like, it was always kind of told to me that racer women, racer is my maiden name, racer women are big, you know? And it was just kind of like, well, I'm just a bigger girl. Like I had accepted it, but not, I still hated myself a lot. Like I really disliked my body and I always felt uncomfortable in my skin. I hadn't really understood the concept of speaking life into myself yet. She was actually at a church event when she first learned your words actually have power. I remember sitting at a table one time talking to people and I said, I don't know who I was speaking to, but I was like, man, every spring I get a cold. And she goes, well, you just cursed yourself. Every time you say that, you're going to always get a cold. Like you're getting a cold because you're telling your body you're going to get a cold. And that was the first time I had ever heard anyone say something like that where I, I was like, oh, I really can create my own reality and, or perception by what I say or think or whatever. So that's when I started to really change the way I spoke because I was a pretty negative person. I was one of those people that worried a lot. I would stress so much about finances, especially that I would make myself sick. Like I really did suck at words. <laughs> I was pretty gloomy. This really shocked me. I couldn't believe it. She is one of the brightest, smiliest, most positive people I've ever met. I couldn't even imagine her like that. I promise. I was pretty negative Nancy. So that church that we were involved in split. It was the most confusing time ever because I had a lot of respect and love for this one pastor. It was her parents' church. And she was the one being kicked out of her own church. And there was a lot of things being said about her. And I didn't believe it. And I split with her and helped do a church plant. So for the next three years, like we were involved in this church, very heavily involved. My husband was serving every Sunday, doing something, security or whatever. And then I was on the worship team. So I was there serving faithfully, you know, doing all the things. And it was good for the most part. But without saying too many detrimental things about this pastor, there were a lot of things found out that were not okay. You know lies, cheating, stealing, you know, I mean, there's public records about things that this person has done, lawsuits, and things. And I just, I turned a blind eye to it because at the time I was like, no, there's no way. But seeing a lot of things firsthand, being really close to this person, other people in the church that covered it up, it's just, it was a lot and it was very painful and it didn't really fit us anymore. It didn't feel right. And so we left that church. Please. I want to say it was like 2017 or 2018, but I'm, I'm not really sure. But um, we left and my original thought was I'm going to take a little break and then I'm going to find a new church. But when I left, I don't know. I don't know what started happening, but I was like, wait, but what do I believe? And like, do I believe that about tithing? And do I believe everything the Bible says? And do I believe like it just all of a sudden I started unpacking questions. And at first it was really uncomfortable because Growing up, I was kind of told, like, you don't really question. You just, this is what the word is. You just 
and you pray about it. You got a problem, you go pray about it, you know, and that was kind of it. Like it wasn't for me, it was never discussed like, well, what's the actual issue? What's if I asked a question, it was just like, well, go look in the Bible. Okay. But what does that mean? Well, just, you know, just don't worry about it. Just believe. And so to ask questions felt wrong. Like it felt like I was, I don't know, betraying somebody or something, or it just felt weird to ask the questions that no one was asking. And then I would start talking to other friends who were kind of like in a deconstructing or talk to people who were in the faith. Like, what do you believe in? What do you, so that really opened a lot of conversations in my life. And my husband and I started talking more about it. And he shared a lot of his beliefs. And I was like, you believed all of that while you were going to church? Like it didn't, (laughs) it didn't work with me because a lot of his theories were totally different than what I grew up with. It's so easy to be quick to judge someone when they leave religion behind. I wanted to invite Don to give us some insights into that process. Is it like willy-nilly, I'm out of here, bye Felicia, or was it painful and difficult? It was so painful. And I actually have one of my best friends. She's going through the same thing with me right now, maybe a few months behind me. It's kind of funny. I feel like I'm on a journey like three months ahead of her. But like, I just talked to her yesterday. I'm like, this stuff is hard. Because when you remove God out of it or religion or a faith, you're left with nothing. Like, it's like having a big brick house. Everything's built. Everything's there. The carpet, the floors, the furniture, everything is there for you. And then when you deconstruct, it's like totally removing every piece of that house and leaving just the bottom. And now you have to rebuild. It's like, well, what do I want to put back in? What do I actually believe? And so you're like placing little things back in, but like, my ground was gone. Like I had no ground to stand on when I left church because it was like, well, wait, do I believe in the Bible? Okay. If I don't believe in the Bible, then that removes this. And then that removes this. And it's like, ah, you know? And so it's like, when I have a crisis at first, it was like, well, what do I do? Because I don't know who to pray to or what to do with that. And so it's not easy. If anybody tells you this kind of journey of leaving religion or any kind of belief system behind they're they're lying to you if they say it's easy because it's really hard it's really hard we need not judge recently the prophet of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints russell m nelson said if friends and family should step away from the church continue to love them it is not for you to judge another's choice any more than you deserve to be criticized for staying faithful i really believe People don't leave just to be like, screw you. They are on their own personal journey. You know, the last year that I was at that church, a lot of weird stuff happened that was very, uh, like, just spiritually abusive. And a couple of my friends were a part of it with me. And they would be like, this doesn't feel right. And I'm like, it doesn't feel right. Like, things just started to feel icky. And I just knew that 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 wasn't for me. So it was just kind of like, things just shifted and just didn't feel right. We can all sense energies and vibes of things. And that was kind of it. It just was like little by little things just kind of piled up things that she would say on the the stage that just didn't feel like, no, that doesn't line up with what the word actually says. You know what I mean? And then I would hear a little bit of stories from other people from that last church, you know, how they were treated. And then I got to read some affidavits from like 25 people with this lawsuit she was going through. And it was like, oh, okay. So this is a legit thing not just a feeling like there's some things that are not okay here. And like I said, like, I really, it wasn't like when I left that church, I was going to just abandon religion. It was like, I just can't do this church. And then it just allowed me to ask the questions once I got out of that. I like how she said she asked questions. I think it's so important to ask those questions and explore what you really believe. Now, I don't know what church she attended. She never specified But I do know it was a Christian church. And I really relate. I have just actually gone through my own faith crisis and trying to really discover what I believe personally. I worked for a family who used to attend my church, and their journey led them down a different path. I had this belief as a little girl that if you do good and go to church, good will happen for you. And if you do bad and leave the church, bad will happen to you and you can't live a happy life, right? It just simply isn't like that. So many good people have hard, hard things happen to them. And who is it to say what bad even is? Like, 
This family that left the church is incredible. They are very successful, have a beautiful home, and they seem happy with their life. They are also so loving and kind. Her and I used to get into conversations about the church, and one of those conversations really helped me in the long run because she challenged my thoughts. My whole life, I felt similar to Dawn, like I wasn't smart enough or good enough. I literally had one goal, to make it to heaven. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we believe it's actually really difficult to get to hell, but that there are three degrees of glory in heaven, the best being the celestial kingdom. I never had any professional or personal life goals. It was kind of an excuse, like, this life doesn't really matter. I just want to get to the celestial kingdom to be happy. This thought actually was holding me back. I didn't realize until the lady I worked for challenged that thought, and I was like, okay, well, what if that was your only goal, and you get to the other side, and it's not even there? Well, dang, if there's no celestial glory or kingdom, what the heck am I doing? Am I wasting my life? I found myself being curious about drinking, like, dude, I never drink, and for what? Then the answer came to me, because I have so much fun without even needing a drink, and it's better for my body not to anyway. Another question I had to ask, if it's not true, am I happy with my life? Actually, yeah, I love my life, but there was this podcast goal looming over me. I realized, actually, I can live more fully to my potential here on earth. I don't have to just wait to go to the celestial kingdom. Then I thought about, like, really, could I leave the church? I really could. But did I want to? If I'm not a child of God, who the crap am I? For me, I cannot deny the love of Christ and the miracles I've witnessed. It physically broke my heart to say God wasn't real. Too much has happened in my life to prove otherwise for me. So yes, for me, God is real. But was this church it for me? I started to unpack what I liked about church and what I didn't like. I love and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there are some things about the culture that are not my favorite. So for me, ultimately, I decided to stay. Because if people like me leave just because some of the weird culture crap, how is that ever going to change? So if I get to the other side and he's not real, I'll still be so happy with my life and how I lived it. It is really scary to question what you believe, but I think it is so important. You should ask those questions and you should find out for you. What will you be proud of when you pass, whether there is a God or not? That's such a good point though, because I feel like I just said this to someone this morning about it. Is that like, for me, she asked me, do you believe in heaven or hell still? And I was like, if I'm being honest, I don't know anymore. Like, I don't know if there's a physical heaven and hell. And that was a really scary thing to remove from my faith because it's like, as a believer, you're told like your mission is basically to get people, as many people to come with you to heaven. And your goal is to get to heaven, right? Like you don't want to go to hell. So once you remove that, it's like, well, what is the purpose? What's our purpose here? You know? And so that kind of opened up this big question and it probably is for you too. It's kind of like, well, what is the purpose here? And I think that we all have a specific purpose, but it's harder sometimes for all of us to figure out what it is. But I personally feel like and I don't know if this was anywhere related to what you were talking about, but like, I personally feel like heaven and hell, in my opinion, is not a physical place that we go to when we die. I think it's like what we create here on this earth for ourselves. Like we create our own heaven or hell by, you know, leveling up, being good people, loving people, putting out really good energy. Um, you know, how you speak about yourself. Like, are you becoming a better version of yourself? Like you can create any kind of heaven or hell you want. And so like, for me, that's kind of where I'm at with that. But it is, it's really earth shattering. When we were chatting and deciding if Dawn would come on my show or not, I did just check to make sure like, are you hoping to come on my show and be like, everyone leave Christianity. It's the worst. She wasn't like that at all. She was so respectful when I told her about my journey and how I decided to stay. I think that's good. I do. I think that's really good because I think, you know, when I say religious people or Christians. And I'm like, I don't mean to blanket anybody because there's so many different people in the world and not every Christian is the same that I was with or whatever, but you can make it better. You can definitely set the stage for a different kind of, you know, religious person. Like it doesn't have to be this blanket, like, well, I'm religious. So I have to hate this and hate that and only love this. Like, I don't know why we put ourselves in these boxes. Ah, she's seriously amazing. And so, so fun. 
I just want to go hang out with her. We would have so much fun together. We would have so much fun together. We don't have to agree on everything to be friends. I think that this world is so divided because it's like, well, you either believe this or this. Well, what about this and this and this and this? Like, and for me, I, you know, grew up thinking there was only one way. Like everybody had to be this. I was right and you were wrong. And now I'm like, okay, if there's a God and he created us all unique and individual and beautiful in our own ways, how can anyone say there's only one way of doing anything? You can't say that because you're not God and you don't know, you know? So I think once I accepted the truth that it's like, I don't know, you don't know. So I'm just going to love you where you're at. <laughs> you're going to love me where I'm at. We're not hurting anyone, you know, and I'm not being out here hateful or offending anyone. I'm like, no, I, because I've gone through what I've gone through, like I can't judge anybody for any beliefs that they have or ways that they live. It's like, I just don't know what you've been through. I haven't walked in your shoes. I don't know your story, you know? So you're reacting how you know how to react or you're believing because you were taught to believe that way. And some people may never leave anything that they grew up believing. And that's okay too. I told her we did not have to dive deep into that. And then we just did. <laughs> but let's move more into her professional life. I had worked a lot of jobs my whole life. And the reason I want to say this is because this has kind of led me to where I'm at feeling confident in myself. I always thought I wasn't very smart and I wasn't going to do anything with my life. Nothing felt like me. There's no passions. You know how when you graduate, everybody's going to school. Everybody's got their thing. And I was like, I got nothing. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I ended up going to school to be an esthetician. I don't even know why, I, but I did skincare for the next three years. The reason I went to school for that was only because my friend was like, well, what are you going to do after school? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, well, I'm going to go to be a cosmetologist. You should be an esthetician. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, man, I was easily persuaded. So I did that for a few years and I liked it. But again, I just bounced from job to job to job to job. And in 2012, I was let go and I bounced from job to job that whole year. And the end of that year, my brother was working for a very small company and they were hiring seasonal shippers. And they were like, he's like, it's good money. And it's a few months of work. And I was like, okay. So that was only supposed to be a three month job. And I ended up staying there for eight years. <laughs> and not only was I just a shipper, but like I ended up moving up every year. I'd move up a little bit more and a little bit more until I was literally everybody's right-hand person. I was everybody's boss. I was executive assistant. I was operations manager. I was in charge of everything. And I loved that job. I actually thought, this is it. This is what I was meant to do. I'm a good leader. I'm a good, you know? And so I was totally prepared to be at that job for the rest of my life or until we went under or something. It was a very small company. But 2020, I mean, we all know that changed a lot for a lot of people, especially this small business. And the owner of this company, great guy. I can't even say a ton bad about him. He treated me very well for the, for the most part, but he was going through a lot of his own personal things and his business started failing a little bit in 2020. And so things got a little toxic for me there. And so I just started feeling overworked and overwhelmed. And I just, I would cry almost every day because I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I didn't really have a backup or anything. I couldn't help it. I just have to pause here for a moment and acknowledge something. Doesn't she do such an incredible job owning her own story and not crapping all over others? She hasn't said a negative thing about anyone. Her parents, her ex-husband, her husband now who struggled with addictions, the pastor from the other church, and now this old boss. It's amazing how she really doesn't place blame or put hurt on others. What's theirs is theirs, and what's hers is hers. It's just amazing. Okay, back to the story. So now it's 2019 and she begins to dabble in network marketing. During that time that I was there, 2019 is when I started jumping into the network marketing field, kind of on a whim because I had tried somebody's CBD and it worked really well. And I was like, okay, I can talk about this. Like it healed a lot of things going on in my gut. Like that was my biggest issue was my gut issues. So 2019, I jumped into this network marketing space to part-time. It was kind of fun. I never thought it would be a full-time thing for me. Because again, I was still thinking I was very stupid and not good at anything. Then the new company that I'm with now presented itself end of 2020, right? Yeah, jeez. Feels like forever ago, but also yesterday. And I was asked to be a founder in this company. She got to leave the toxic situation just two months into her new company. 
it's it's incredible. Um, it's been fun because I've helped build it from the ground up. You know, like we've gone through all the <laughs> the bumps of the company, and I got to be a part of all of that. But it's really fun because I've I've been able to get to know my CEOs on a deeper level and people that I work with. Like it's it's incredible. So it was the best decision for me personally because I just was like, my piece is worth so much more than a paycheck at this point. I think we're all to that point in this life. If 2020 has taught us anything, I think it's that we really work so hard. And for what? I remember seeing more families together during that time, out riding bikes, enjoying each other. With all the chaos and loved ones dying, I really learned how valuable life is and what my priorities and passions are. Maybe that's why there's a shortage of workers. People don't want to just chase a paycheck anymore. They want to live. Or maybe people are just lazy. I don't know. (laughs) But Dawn was starting a new venture. She was slowly flipping the script and starting to speak kinder words to herself. Not to mention the CBD was helping loads with her anxiety. The CEOs saw something in her. So I got invited to their retreat in Orlando. And that's where I met a couple people that I'm like besties with now, Daryl and Crystal. And I remember just being like this little nobody there. Like, I don't know these people. I have no volume. I have no sales. I don't know what I'm doing here, you know, but I learned and I got to know them. And then, I mean, that literally changed my life because if I hadn't gone to that retreat, they wouldn't know who I was. Daryl and Crystal wouldn't have known who I was. And I wouldn't have been asked to be a part of this, you know? So it's really interesting how one little thing can change the course of your life. So yeah, I started here. I got to quit my job. Thankfully, my husband makes good money. And so he was like, you should just go for this. I think that you could be good at this. And at the time I was still like, I don't know if I'm really good at this, but let me try it. You know? Yeah, that was kind of it. Like I just jumped in like, well, if I'm going to do it. I got to give it my all. You know, I told you I go all in on everything. So I decided that that was business and I was going to make it a business and the products have changed my life. I mean, I went from 207 pounds to 150 and I've only used the products. Like I've lost a lot of weight, but really I feel like the biggest change here has been my inner healing because this company isn't just about healing with products. We're about like actually doing the work, helping you become your highest self. So it's like, When I talk to people about weight loss, I'm like, okay, but what's your mindset right now? Like, how do you feel about you? What do you say when you look in the mirror? Do you tell yourself nice things or do you say, oh God, you're ugly today? Like there's actual science behind our thoughts and like the things we think become what we say and the things that we say become what we do. And we are so programmed, (laughs) especially by society as women to be a certain size or look a certain way or whatever. And so like, it's really hard to reprogram your mind. (laughs) We operate 95% of the time in default mode from what we know. 5% of the time is when we're trying to like reprogram. So it's a lot of work. So I feel like the biggest thing for me with this company is that we've really poured into that and we've really worked on mindset together and we've all healed from a lot of traumas and things. And so this last year, year and a half, two years, gosh, (laughs) I said, it feels like it was since yesterday. It's been, been incredible. I feel like a completely different person than when I started a year ago, I look at pictures. I showed my husband a picture of me last week. And I was like, look at this picture. And he's like, who is that? What are they doing? Why are you showing that? I'm like, it's me. <laughs> like, he literally was like, I don't recognize you. Again, like I grew up thinking I had no passions, no purpose. I wasn't going to amount to anything. And network marketing really drew something out of me. I became confident. I mean, it goes back to how I started speaking about myself. So in the church is when I started understanding what that meant. And then in 2020, I decided to start putting like affirmations all over my mirror. And I would say them out loud every single day. Every time I would go to the bathroom, they'd be on my mirror and I would speak them out. Like little things like, you know, I love my body. I appreciate my body and all that it does for me. Things like that, I would say, or I would say, I'm not a burden. I'm smart. I attract wonderful people into my life. And like every day, a little bit more, I would feel that a little bit more, a little bit more until I just feel like I healed myself, to be honest, because I told my body it was appreciated. You know, how many of us actually tell our bodies like, hey, I appreciate you for allowing me to live. Really seriously, regardless of what it looks like, our body is incredible. It digests, it breathes when it needs to, it blinks, it gets rid of the stuff we don't need. The intricacies of the body are incredible. I encourage you to take a moment today and just 
thank your body for what it does right for you instead of judging it so harshly. For me, I mean, I didn't treat my body nicely. I didn't tell myself nice things. I didn't put good things in my body. So of course, my body's going to rebel against me. Like I'm going to feel sick. I'm going to feel like crap, you know? And so I even feel like our gut is our second brain. I've learned this. And so like if a lot of people have gut issues, you said you had, you battle with depression. I'm like, how's your gut? Because the gut has so many, it, it controls so much of our, our health, our anxiety, our depression, our feelings, our fatigue, like, and so I think that it's, it, my husband's like, you are smart. You just, you're smart in different ways. And I think that once I got into this, I realized I was talented in ways that I didn't even realize. Like I figured out I was good at content creating. I was good at, you know, helping people and just having personal conversations with people. Maybe that's my superpower, just being me. <laughs> you know, I feel like we all have superpower and most of us don't ever tap into it. But like you said, like you didn't feel smart because smart to me was like, you were good at math, you knew history and, you know, like Kyle came in and he knew all these facts about everything. I'm like, gosh, you're so smart. And he's like, but you're smart. I'm like, I didn't know those things. He's like, who cares about that random information that's in my head? You know, it's like, so I think figuring out for myself that there's different levels of smart. Everybody's got different levels of smart. Like he doesn't know how to do half the stuff that I do online. And he would be like, oh my gosh, you're so gifted. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I think it's just figuring out like what we're all good at and then honing in on those strengths, like you said, and not trying to compare and be like, well, I need to be more like her because she's really good with that. Like, no, she's good with that because that's her superpower. You know, when I was doing some inner work, this was like a month ago, I actually reached out to five of my closest friends and I said, okay, tell me my strengths and something that I should work on. Like, what do you see as my superpower? I would encourage everyone to do that, by the way, because it's really helpful to have someone on the outside who knows you can like really tell you what's going on and accept it, by the way. Like sometimes you don't want to hear things, but like you have to be open to that criticism too, to grow as a person. And thankfully, a lot of my friends said a lot of really nice things about me, which was a lot of confirmation to me that I'm on the right path because I really do believe that everyone has a superpower. and. We all can be very, very powerful if we use them and tap into them. Oh my gosh. I just learned this for myself with my life coach. I took a strength test and most personality tests that I've taken are like, these are your strengths, these are your weaknesses, and this is how you can work on your weaknesses. But I learned that if we put even 100% of our effort into improving our weaknesses, we could only be mediocre at best with those things. But with our natural strengths, those are like a fire hose. And what happens when you let go of a fire hose? It loses control and goes all crazy, right? So like Don just said, if we can learn to hone our superpower, so instead of flailing around crazy and spraying everything, we can learn to put both hands on it and use that power to direct it in the best, most effective way. Find your superpower and hone it. And don't compare your strengths to other people's strengths. You have exactly what you need to create your best life. So after all of that, what does a day in the life of Dawn look like now? <laughs> you guys, I'm such a homebody. Like everybody thinks I'm super outgoing and like love people. And I'm like, I do love people on a screen. Like I'm so, I, I'm working on, <laughs> I'm working on my social anxiety. Like I really do have some, like I, I still feel like I have to battle with my brain and thinking that I'm going to sound dumb you know, like that has been a thing for me my whole life. It's just when I speak and everybody's looking at me, I get like, oh my gosh. And then I, you know, stumble on my words and then I'm like, gosh, I sounded so stupid. And so often I fight that in being very closed off <laughs> because I'm scared to speak, you know? Um, so that's something I work on. But so the day in the life of me is literally just doing this every day. I sit around in my house and I work on my phone. I get to do fun retreats with friends and things. I always take a little time every day to work on myself, pour into myself, whatever that means. If that's a podcast, if that's just meditating quietly for half an hour, if it's journaling, I do a lot of different things, but I think I've learned a lot about, you know, your thoughts and your mindset and staying in a place of like gratefulness and abundance, because whatever your vibe is, you're going to attract, right? So for a long time, I lived in a fear of lack. I feared I wouldn't have enough money all, all the time. And I don't even know where that came from because like, 
I was sheltered from all the financial problems that we had really. So I really had to fight that fear of lack, but I, it comes from like my husband and I just, we sit sometimes and just talk about what we're grateful for every day. Like we'll just sit there in the morning and be like, well, what are you grateful for today? And it's like, well, I'm really grateful that we have a home and that, you know, we were able to move to the beach and, you know, like little things that we all kind of forget about. I'm really, uh, I think about that a lot more. That's a day in the life of me. I just think a lot about abundance and what I can attract and what I can put out to help other people. You know, anything that I put on my social media, I'm trying to educate or inspire or love on someone. This is one thing that's totally off topic, but sort of back to what we were talking about with religion is like when I left, you know, I had to really change my thoughts about eternal life and what I believed and what other people believed. And it was kind of like, well, you're not wrong. Like, I can't tell you you're wrong anymore. Or like, people who are gay, for example, I grew up feeling like they're sinful, disgusting people. Like they chose this life. My oldest sister actually is gay. And it was kind of an interesting upbringing with that part of it because she was kind of like the black sheep of the family. And I even didn't speak to her for many years because of what I believed about her. You know, she's also got some addict issues or whatever. So there's a lot more to that story. But now, you know, whether someone is gay or not, or whatever anybody believes, I feel like I've gotten to this point where I can have more empathy for people. And I can really, I'm very self-aware and very empathetic. So like when I meet someone, like I hate the small talk, like I really do want to get to know like, well, why are you the way you are? How were you brought up? Because oftentimes the way that people are, the way that they're portraying themselves or the way they're speaking, it's just because of some stuff from their childhood that's all they knew or no one's ever talked to them and listened to them and heard their story. And so when I left religion behind, I feel like it really opened up my heart to be more open and loving towards people and just meet them where they're at. I feel like the whole world, like people are just not self-aware. Have you noticed like people just don't, they don't take account for their own actions or what they're doing and they don't really think about other people. And when you start to kind of deconstruct and get out of certain ways of thinking and you get more self-aware about yourself, it really opens a lot of doors to allow you to just like look into other people and be like, oh, that's why you are that way. And I, I love you, even though you're being a jerk. You know. <laughs> I had one more bold question for Dawn, and it stems from understanding her family side. She mentioned a gay sister, and I imagine her parents struggle with that as well as struggle with Dawn leaving her faith. I truly like to try to see both sides of the story. So I wondered... If the person who is gay or who leaves ever considers what's going on for their parents, their journey has led them to this place where they deeply, deeply believe they won't get to be with their child in heaven or whatever. Honestly, maybe it's telling when a parent is so sad or upset. Maybe that means they are deeply loved. Your parents just want to be with you forever. Can we allow a little compassion and space for that healing as well? Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean they don't. It's easy for me to just totally accept that Dawn left her faith. But I'm not, like, attached to her. This is a deeper bond between family members. Can we cultivate a relationship where we respect each other's beliefs and allow space for grieving? It wouldn't be so painful for everyone if you didn't love each other, right? So I asked Dawn, what is her relationship with her family like now? That's a really good perspective for me to remember, <laughs> is that's how they feel. So my husband, when he first met me, he was like, your family's so weird. They're so close. Like he would see his family like once a year, like they'd maybe have Christmas or Easter. Like they just, it was not a very close relationship. Whereas me, it was like everything family all the time. We're always together. We always celebrate every birthday. We always, you know, it's very close. And so even in my adult life, we always talked. And so I used to be very open with everyone in my family about everything I was going through. We even have that Marco Polo app where you just send little videos. So we all just share a lot of stupid things to each other. Like nobody cares. But anyways, so that's the kind of family that I've always had. But once I started going through my deconstruction, I mean, my family could tell you this, I've pulled back. And it's not because I don't want them to know. I feel like a lot of people, and maybe my family, they might listen to this and say, no, that's not true. But they listen to reply and not understand. And so for me, it's kind of like a boundary for me where I just was like, you're not really going to meet me where I'm at. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to share that part of my life, but it doesn't make me feel any way about them. Like they're all Christians and they're not terrible people who are very religious. So I don't want to make them out to be bad, but they are very much 
around Christianity, everything about them. And so our relationship is okay. Is it great? (laughs) No, but like, I personally know where they're coming from. Like I have empathy for them and understanding because I, I grew up that way. And so like, I understand when they say certain things or like how they react to certain things. Like, I'm like, I get it. I get why you're saying that because I would have said that too. I've had to put some boundaries up with certain people in my family. I've had to have conversations because they just kept trying to push, you know, listen to this podcast or read this or, you know, watch this. And I was like, stop, like what you're doing is pushing me farther (laughs) because that's just not how you win anybody to Christ, by the way, you don't pound them with the Bible. Like that's just not how you do it now. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to share things with them. It's just, um, it's kind of learning to tread that water. Like it's, it's new for me to not tell my family everything or have them know every thought in my brain. Um, I think it's hard, especially for my dad, because he's very close to his family. He loves his family. He loves to show off his family, you know, and he's very proud of me. I know that, but there is that little bit of a disconnect with him where I just, I can't share this part of me. It's just because I don't feel like we're just ever going to relate on that level. So it's a little strained, but it's not, there's no hate. There's no hate with my family. I, I love every single person and I respect their journey just as much as I hope that they respect mine. <laughs> so as a person in Christianity, how can we better support people who decide to leave? It's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer for that yet. <laughs> I think for me, like when I was a Christian, that was my identity. Like I was a Christian first and foremost. And I think that's how my family kind of is, where it's like, that's their identity. That's what they kind of revolve everything around. Whereas I don't have that faith now. So it's like, I don't worry so much about heaven or hell or the eternity part. I just live my life now because I'm like, we're all going to die one day. So like, I'm going to start living right now and I'm going to do what I can in this lifetime to just be a good person and share love and light to people. And I think that's what Jesus wanted anyway. So I wish I had an answer for that. I don't really know what it looks like because it's, it's still kind of new for me to navigate this with my family and people that are still in that mindset or, you know, religious belief set or whatever it is. I'm still trying to manage that myself. (laughs) Sounds to me like the best thing to do, like she said earlier, listen to understand, not to respond. Just yesterday, I started talking to my sister-in-law about all this stuff because she asked and I was like, oh. Well, somebody wants to really understand here, I'll start sharing you. So it's like, and I, I left the church four or five years ago. Right. So it's kind of like, I feel like we're all just kind of taking it one day at a time to figure out how to manage new relationships and different ways to talk to each other in a respectful way. And, you know, I think <laughs> I'm a very blunt person. You got it from my voice, but I'm like, Hey, I'm just going to put it all out there. Like that's always been me. My dad said, when I was born, I came out a leader. I was always in charge. And so I think sometimes my family's scared to to ask me the questions because I can be very abrupt and very blunt and be like, I don't know, just point blank. But I hope that the people in my life that have watched me go through this know that I have more understanding and more empathy and I'm not going to attack. I'm not, you're not going to offend me by asking questions. Like I'm not going to try to offend you. I'm, I'm just going to hear you out. And I just ask for the same back, you know? Listen to understand. Don't listen to reply. We have two ears for one reason and one mouth, right? Like we need to be listening to people more often. (laughs) So that, my friends, is how two women who have been through recent faith crises and came out with two different outcomes create a beautiful friendship of love and respect. It is so, so possible. And this world needs it more than ever. So with that, I asked, what do you wish people saw? beyond your white picket fence? I think what's hard about this day and age is social media. It's a pro and a con and it's, it's a blessing and a curse. I work on social media. Like I have to be on it, but it's also really detrimental because we all do the comparison game and we see people's highlight reels and we're like, well, there's obviously like I, she has a perfect life and all that stuff. But like, I love your mission here because everybody has a story. Once you get to know somebody, you, you find out how much they've gone through to get to this point. And so becoming more self-aware and really understanding people, people need to get out of their own heads and their own insecurities and 
ask the hard questions to somebody. If you see somebody who's living a really great life and you're like, God, I want that. Just know, first of all, that that might be a sign from the universe that it's coming for you. But second of all, ask the person, like, tell me your story. Like, how did you get to this point? And I think that we all need to be open to sharing more. Like, let's not all act like it's perfect because it's not. We all know no one has a perfect life. Me growing up thinking I had this perfect life was because of the way my parents presented our family, you know? And I kind of wish that we could go back and be more real (laughs) as a family. Like, talk about the fact that I had an addict for a sister and, you know, it was kind of a hard thing to go through with the family. And I, there was a lot of things going on in the family and within everything in my childhood. And I'm like, why didn't we talk about that? I feel like my whole family could have maybe been healed a little differently or whatever. So I think people just need to strip it down and stop acting like they got all their ish together. (laughs) We're all just doing our best. And that's all you can do. This has been another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. If you have a story to share or you know someone that does, please reach out to me on my website, Facebook, or Instagram. The link for all these things should be in the show notes. Will, they will be in the show notes. I'm going to put them there for you. And as always, be kind, because you never know what's going on beyond the picket fence.